0: thing about writing is that you don't need to start doing it amazing. You can do it in your head. You can do it on the back of a napkin. You can take out your phone and record yourself um umming and ah ahhing and writing and send it to transcriptionist. Um, You can just start with where you are for daydreaming.
1: (laughs) You're listening to Chief Executive Auntie, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Dwan Faltz. know about you but to me it seems like novelists and book writers tend to get the most attention in the writing community and then there are of course the rock star journalists breaking huge stories and these copywriters who are working for huge companies and their slogans are everywhere and they're just you know famous, right? But the technical writer is an often overlooked role. And after speaking with my guest today, I'm convinced it's a highly underrated job. Sam Brandt is a Korean American technical writer who also writes fiction, and I'll let them tell you more about their story. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell me, as a technical writer, what do you really do as opposed to where are you really from?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um Well, usually I say technical writers are the people who write all of the documentation you never read. Um, And I say that because I am personally one of those people who only goes to the documentation when I absolutely have to, which drives my husband nuts. He's like, you do this for a living. You write documentation. How come you never look at it until you're like, I don't know what's going on, but that's how a lot of people access it. Um, So i Personally work mostly on software documentation. Um, I've written things like user manuals, reference uh, manuals, um, tutorials, I've worked on some videos, uh, all to help basically help an audience get to understand uh, a technical, I guess I haven't really worked on equipment, but it could be like equipment, uh, software, a process, And hopefully help people, you know, out of a jam when they're struggling with how the heck do I do this thing?
1: Yeah, this is a little bit different, but I'm working on a I'm working on to create a course right now for how for writers for how to build their own website. And I've been building websites for like 15 years. So I'm like, okay, I can do this. This is fine. And I have to go and type out the actual instructions and I'm like, uh go to this thing, and then I have to go and look and like see what color the button is because I don't think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have to like learn all the software before you can write about
0: it? Yes, I find that it's the most helpful if I can be as expert as I can make myself on a deadline to write about the thing, which, has its own challenges on incredibly technical, complicated things. Sometimes you just have to rely on the knowledge of your SMEs, your subject matter experts Mm. to tell you what a thing is and what it's supposed to do. And hopefully it does that, Um, you know, because sometimes there isn't enough time to become expert enough, but you do sort of have to constantly throw your mind back to what state is my audience in and if i do this all the time or if i really know how this works right what am i missing from what they don't know how to do or won't think is obvious cuz we all scratch over what we think is like really really clear to
1: us <laughs> i remember this was you know 15 20 years ago but one of my when we were in high school one of my friends was trying to teach her mom like how to use a computer well and she's like mom you point and you click and her mom picks up the mouse and like touches the screen. <laughs> with it. And you're right. We just, for the things that we do all the time, we just assume that, okay, everybody knows how to do this. Um, I guess, I guess with coronavirus making everybody go online, I think it maybe has kind of flattened the playing field a little bit and people realize like, Oh, like tech is hard. <laughs>
0: it. It is. And I think the more it gets ubiquitous, the more that we ignore that it can be difficult for people to pick up. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, uh, you know, being from a generation where you're like mixed, you had some technology, but you maybe didn't grow up with it. It feels like um, some people got on that learning curve really easily and some people didn't. But then we sort of all assumed that everyone younger than us who more grew up with technology understood it more, which actually I have found isn't the case. I've met plenty of people who are much younger than me, who grew up with technology much more than I did, who are still just as confused by computers as maybe my parents are because they understand how to do the limited set of things that they need to do. But they don't understand how the technology works, uh, which is which is where documentation can come in, really, is, you know, bridging the gap between I can understand enough how this works and figure it out on my own. And I don't know. And I just need to do this. And please don't give me a lecture about how things work. Just tell me the steps that I can do to make my, you know, fill this cell in green or, you know, make this coffee maker set a timer to make my coffee in the morning all of that stuff is for i don't actually understand what's going on behind the scenes but i can i can get through this process
1: yeah i found that as a freelance web design builder person I don't even know what to call myself anymore (laughs) person who makes shit on computers but like I found that a lot really a lot of times it's just knowing what to google (laughs) like it's not that I know everything about every tool ever but my clients hire me because I know what to google faster than they can (laughs) and I have definitely seen good documentation and less good documentation. And I tend to, and given the choice, I will pick the tools that have the better documentation because it, it's just easier to use. So yeah, your job is very important. (laughs) Um, Your job is all, I mean, I feel like your job is not, you know, you don't write marketing copy, but the documentation is a marketing tool almost. Like if somebody can't find what they're trying to do, They're going to quit that software. They're going to quit that program. Like they're going to return the thing. They don't, you know, and that's, it's kind of like the back, like the reverse, like the back end of marketing. Like you keep the retention part, Um, Mm -hmm. which actually I had never thought about before. (laughs) Um, What does a typical day look like for you?
0: Of course, pre COVID and during COVID, (laughs) um, it it really depends. I think the job I have right now at Haven Life, I'm working on internal documentation. So I'm writing documentation in Confluence um, to support the developers and like the product folks in our company. And so I don't have the same kind of deadlines. So in a typical situation, right, where you're you're writing with the releases, and you have sort of the regular cadence of, okay, I have to document this feature or this tool, and it's going to be released with this release. So I have to have everything done at this specific time. It's, working on internal has been very interesting because you set a lot of your own deadlines. Um, I've only recently just had a product uh, project where I was documenting to more of a deadline closer to what I'm used to. We had an internal tool that I was working on, had no documentation, and we were coming up to the point where we were going to release internally to like a specific set of users. And I was like, oh, this is really familiar. I know how to do this. But the internal documentation process has been very strange to me because it turns out I really need the pressure of a deadline to be like... I was like, about
1: to ask if you are one of those who finds deadlines
0: motivating or terrifying um i have adhd uh this is only something i discovered as an adult and um i used to just wonder why i was bad at everything and then (laughs) it sounds really sad but getting my diagnosis really helped me because Mm -hmm. it was like oh okay i know what the problem is i can look for solutions and you know it is there are definitely still challenges Um, I find it very challenging to have only sort of my own set deadlines or deadlines set internally by my team that aren't like, we have to get this out to production or else terrible things will happen. Terrible things won't happen. But I, there's something about that pressure that I've had to learn to deal without. And so, um, you know, just finding the right tools, but it is much more challenging to document internally. So on an average day, um, Before documenting internally, it was like, okay, look at where I am in a project, figure out what needs to be done, and, you know, do that depending on where we are in the documentation process. So that might be doing research and discovery, that might be testing and discovering how something works, it could be um, interviewing Developers uh, or QA folks, you know, interviewing my subject matter experts. It could be talking to product owners. It could be actually writing, which is so little an amount of the job, uh, <laughs> bizarrely, um, and it could be editing. Um, you know, now I think I spend the most time, you know, talking and like testing but since it's all internal and and it's not going out with a release, you know, you're fitting into everyone else's schedules. Mm. So it can be, um, there's a little less pressure, uh, to, for people to put down what they're working on. That is h- a high priority. So there are definitely days where you're like, okay, well, what can I go and clean up? What needs work? What can I go back and check and see if it's changed? Um, which is, is good because often you don't have time to, uh, Spend time on keeping things up to date. It is Mm -hmm. so hard. And that's the thing that everyone always asks about with documentation is like, how do you keep it up to date? How do you keep it relevant? Oftentimes it's not. I think we all have encountered documentation where we're like, well, it doesn't do that anymore. (laughs) And, you know, it, it does give you the chance when things are hectic for other teams to just be like, okay. Well, I can go back and I can look at some of the things that we worked on. Are they still relevant? Um, and truthfully, there's still always work to do. Uh, just have more projects bouncing around at one time now. Yeah. Are you
1: fairly autonomous? It sounds like you, you're kind of like a full stack. That's not, it's kind of to use a development metaphor, but like a full stack writer. Like you do the research for your project, then you do the writing, then you do your own editing. Is it like that?
0: Yes, um, I there. I work with one other writer at my company. Um, it's a fairly small team, um, but I've been places where I've been the only writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this: it's not great to be your own editor. You should you should always have people edit your stuff. But sometimes there just isn't time for you. For the other person, uh, we had all the best intentions of trying to be really on top of editing each other's work. We really don't do enough of it, <laughs> um, you know. So you know, you do sort of learn to do everything up and down. And truthfully, I personally feel like I wouldn't trust to write something if I hadn't tested it myself. Mm -hmm. Right? Occasionally, you do really have to just take someone's word for it that like, this is how it works, because it's too technical. And they don't have the time to walk you through you doing it yourself. You're not set up for it like that does occasionally happen. But I think the best documentation is written when you've got your your hands all up in the mix and you can see like, okay, I clicked that button and it did what it was supposed to do. Or I click that button and I don't know what it did and I don't understand it and would someone else understand it? I don't know. Let's go talk to someone and figure out if that's the case. And sometimes that's how you find out that there are bugs. I worked for a company that didn't have any QA people and the, doc, and the documentation team, the tech writing team, was basically QA for a lot oh, of God. the stuff. Um, we wrote tons of tickets because we were, the, we were basically testing it as we documented. <laughs>
1: That's wild. And, that, and again, I'm, I'm struck by the parallels between tech, the technical writing and marketing writing. Because one of my copywriter clients, she won't take a client. Until she has the product in her hand or if it's like a course or something, she will take the entire course, get the get the user experience, get the student experience. And she, and, that, and of course, that's all wrapped into her pricing, which is which is what should be done. Um, yeah, I'm really struck by the parallels between like front kind of like front end writing the copy, the marketing and then on the back end, the technical documentation. That's super interesting. How did you end up in technical writing? You, I mean, you mentioned that you graduated with a degree in philosophy. So, take us through your journey.
0: Um, okay, so I actually I started out undergraduate um, in theater. I was going to be a stage manager. I was like, I love the theater. This is exactly what I want to do. And then partway through my freshman year, I was like, if I do this, I will be so stressed out. I will die. I. Much love to everyone who does theater professionally. Much love to stage managers who do it professionally. It is a tough, tough job. And I just realized that I needed to do something that didn't put so much stress on me. And so I ended up in philosophy, which I just found that I was kind of good at. I'm not great at memorizing. I'm not great at details like who did a thing or what did this specific philosopher say, but I can, I can work through a concept really, really easily. Well, I would think that's what philosophy is. (laughs) It it is. And, and and it's, and it's so much. it, It, when I started taking philosophy courses, I was like, I might not be good at all these other things, but I, I'm pretty good at this. Um, and so I was just like, well, I like this and I'm good at it. So I'm going to do that. So I got my undergraduate degree in philosophy. And then I didn't want to go and get my PhD because I didn't want to just be in academia forever. I didn't want to go into law, which is the other thing people usually do with a philosophy degree. They you know, take the LSAT and they become lawyers. And if I didn't want the stress of being a stage manager, I also didn't want the stress of being a lawyer. Um, and so I floundered a bit. Um, I spent a few years working in retail, doing odd sales jobs. I pedicabbed, which I like, I drove one of those little um, bicycle cart things for a while. I worked at Disney, um, both as like uh, loading people onto attractions. I was friends with several characters, which was very fun. Um, I sold life and health insurance, like very briefly. I, God, I, I worked at Sears and I sold lawnmowers, um, and eventually I wound up at Best Buy, um, and I didn't know anything about computers. I was—they stuck me in the computer department because I I used Macs as my primary computers, and they didn't have a single salesperson on the floor who really knew Mac OS very well. That's kind of surprising. <laughs> it, it, it it was, but everyone in that department was like, you know into gaming they all built their own pcs they were super pc literate which and a lot of them just had never used a mac but for me a person who didn't really know a lot about computers macs were always felt safer because it felt like at the time i couldn't break it <laughs> um which i think is a thing that a lot of non-technical people worry about they're worried mm-hmm. they're going to press the wrong button they're going to click the wrong thing and they're just going to break it and well, I know that that is not the case now. It's definitely how I felt then. Um, I learned everything I could learn. I grew up in a household with sales as like the, you know, sales and relationship building as a primary thing. And I was like, I, can't, I don't feel comfortable selling people computers unless I understand them. So I learned. I learned about computers. And then I learned that explaining them to people who were like me is really hard. It's difficult to sell someone something when they're afraid of it. They need it, but they also don't know anything about it. And they're worried about getting ripped off. So, you know, you come up with a lot of analogies, like uh, how a car is like a, a computer is like a car, or how a computer is like a person, um, and, and try to explain it to them. And then I really liked doing that, but I didn't really like being paid minimum wage.
1: Well, yes, that's a <laughs> minor detail that can trip people up, understandable.
0: and And even at more than minimum wage, which... Um, Best Buy, at least at the time, um, had this policy that if you have a bachelor's degree, you automatically make $10 an hour. Minimum wage was and is $7.25. So it was was higher than minimum wage, but still not Not great. (laughs) um, And I have to say, I do miss the every day is different of like being in retail. It's the one thing that I really loved about it. Um, But I was like, how do I parlay? This like explaining technology to non-technical people, this thing that I enjoy, with my other skills, all of which happen to basically be writing. My whole life, the big thing I did, my hobby, other than reading, has always been writing. Uh, I wrote my first, or I attempted my first novel in like seventh or eighth grade. It was a horror novel where all my friends and I were trapped in our middle school. We were getting, getting attacked by a killer. Um, And I discovered, I think through Google searches, I discovered technical writing. I was like, oh, someone like has to write these, these manuals. I could do that. I could be a technical writer. I started trying to freelance. It turns out that if you have no experience, people don't want to hire you. it was it's like, how do you build experience if no one will give you the chance? Right.
1: And then no one will give you a chance unless you have experience. And it's like,
0: you can't. Doesn't work that way. Um, So I decided to apply for a couple uh, graduate programs, Um, except that I only found one graduate program that. I really liked. And at the same time, I was also applying for trade schools. I was basically like, I'm either going to become an electrician or I'm going to go to grad school. <laughs> um, Electricians can make a lot of money. <laughs> they they can. And I have always liked work, like working with my hands. I find, you know, electronics fascinating. The Probably the reason that I never pursued a STEM career was just that my math has always been the worst of all of my like courses. I, even like in college, um, when I tried to sort of strengthen up my math, I'm just not great at it. Um, so I ended up getting into Carnegie Mellon, which I didn't know anything about. So it's very interesting to get into a school that is very good and not know anything about it. Uh, because I, after I had applied, I emailed someone from the program and was like, "Can you tell me a little bit more about this program that I just applied for?" Maybe that's not the best thing to admit to someone, but help me out here. And they were like, "Well, we only take twelve students a year." And I was like, "Well, I'm not getting in. <laughs> um, I, I might as well start like looking for other programs or uh, you know figuring out if I want to go build motorcycles or something." And uh, and I got in. Lo and behold. So um, so I went to Carnegie Mellon for a master's in professional and technical communication. And that was, the, that was the thing I needed to help me jump into the job market. Now, I don't think that's the only way to become a technical writer. I, you know, there are lots of certificates out there you can get. You can build your experience in other ways. But at the time, I didn't know about any of those other ways. And I didn't know how to find out that information. There wouldn't have... There wasn't... I didn't think to, to look for a subreddit that could have given me that information or like, a how do you become a technical writer? Even though that seems to me now, like, why didn't I just Google that? That seems like it would have been the thing to Google. Um, I think there are lots of ways to become a technical writer, but it, it, it was valuable in that I learned a ton from that program. The program has a ton of connections. Um, and, I, and that's how I was able to sort of jump my whole life into a completely different track.
1: Yeah, I mean and I've heard from uh, I've heard from authors, you know, who MFA no MFA why you should why you shouldn't like there's a, there are a lot of pathways to any any writing or creative career. School kind of bundles a lot of that into one package if that's if that's accessible to you, you know, the networking piece, the 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 education, obviously, and then the portfolio building it, that's one way to do it and kind of get all those three things um, in at the same time. But I see, I didn't know that there were masters in technical writing. So I'm a step behind you.
0: (laughs) There are more and more programs now um, that I think are doing that, because I think people are recognizing exactly what you said earlier, which is that technical documentation is another form of marketing that retention is just as important as getting people into your software. Um, and more and more people are paying attention to wanting to hire technical writers who know what they're doing, essentially, who have an I- idea of what makes good documentation. Um, and there are, there are things that are different from other kinds of writing that are specific to technical documentation that make it quality. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, personally, I think that the, the two biggest things is like a focus on audience, right? Any technical documentation needs to know who it's being aimed at so that it can strike the right amount of technical know-how, language. Um, for example, if you have an all-American audience, um, you can... You know, and your software is maybe a little more consumer-driven, you can strike a more friendly tone with your documentation maybe. But if you have to translate your documentation into a bunch of languages, there's a formality that needs to happen because it's easier to translate. And you don't have to get through idioms or like colloquialisms and things. Um, and then the other thing is documentation design good writing is always important but actually the the way that you design documentation that takes into account how users access it how users read it um you know we know that most not all but uh, you know many languages you know are read left to right from the top corner you know down to down to the right bottom corner and so you want to put the information that's needed the most or searched for or the high, of the highest important as high to that top left as you can and then move away from it, right? Cuz it's not like letter writing where you might throw in some filler, hey, how you doing? then get to your point, right? If if I'm only searching for how do I how do I add color to this Excel spreadsheet, I want to know how I add color to that Excel spreadsheet. I don't want you to give me a history lesson on color or why I might use it. I just wanna do my one task and get out. And so like a conception of the hierarchy of, of scannability, all of those are important to good documentation because of the way that people use it and, and read it differently. I, there Look, there are people who will literally get a manual and they will read it cover to cover That sounds super boring to me, but there are people who that's how they ingest information, but a lot of users don't. And so you knowing how things are accessed and being able to design what you're writing to that is important. And then good writing is always important. You know, I don't, I don't think any kind of writing isn't, I'm not a prescriptivist language evolves. You can communicate lots of things without it being written well, because I've been on Twitter. I know that sometimes things that are written poorly are more funny and have a bigger impact. But in technical documentation, you, want, you do want things to be written well. But sometimes you can sacrifice some of that for having it be accessible and clear, even if it's not the most precise, perfect writing, as long as it gets across what needs to be gotten.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's so one of the reasons I hesitate to call myself a web designer is because I have always believed that structure and design and content like there's like it's three. I'm losing my metaphor here. <laughs> it's it's three legs of the same tripod like and if you just have one or two of those, it's going to fall like you can have a beautifully designed website and it doesn't work or people can't find the information or they find the information and it's not what they need. Like you have to. So when I work with clients, like I tell them, like, we got to do all these, I'll be to do all three of these things at once. Um, and I, I never thought about that for technical documentation because yeah, you're going to have some people like my spouse probably <laughs> who reads the manual cover to cover, but most people are going to like parachute in, try to grab what they need and parachute out. And like, when we ca- if you get them for like five seconds, how do we make sure that they get the five seconds that they need? That's so fascinating. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that information hierarchy and structure that applies to all writing really. I mean, maybe not like, I don't know, William Faulkner or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of the, along those same lines. Um, you also write fiction. Um, you say for fun, um, what kind of stories and
0: themes do you like to explore in that writing? So I have been trying for my entire life to finish a novel. Uh, I'm great at starting things. I'm Me not too. <laughs> at finishing them. Uh, but I continue to try. And um, it's kind of changed over the years. So I started out mostly writing horror. Um, but I think that there is something about really good horror that comes from understanding, like, what's, what people are really afraid of. And you only really get some of that by life experience, you know? Um, so I wasn't very good at it is the thing. (laughs) It's okay. I was a teen, you know, that's, that, that is what it is. Um, in college, I I moved on to writing fantasy and I was trying to just write sweeping epic fantasy novels. Um, and that is great because I love world building and I could write about, you know, a world and all of the little facets, but it's not always, it, it got really, it's been really difficult for me to drive from one, plot point to the next. And so the thing that I've always sort of struggled with is like, I'll hit a a plateau, I'll hit a dead zone. And then I'll be like, look at this other shiny idea, I'm going to go work on that. Um, And some of that is ADHD. And some of that is, is uh, just that sometimes it's just so frustrating to get stuck and easier to go do something that doesn't feel like you're banging your head against a wall. Um, And it's interesting because in technical writing, I have to finish my projects, mm-hmm. right? There is no oh, I got stuck, uh, can't can't do it anymore. So there, there is definitely. I know that I have the capability to finish things in writing. I just am still unlocking how to do it with my my fun writing, um, and I think before there really wasn't anything that I was trying to write about. But I'm working on a new project that I started a couple years ago, and it, I decided that I was going to write out the whole plot beforehand, a thing I'd never done. Usually, I'm uh, what they call a pantser, which is like writing by the seat of your pants. Uh, I've tried that a million times, and it never quite worked for me. And so I was like, I'm going to be a plotter. I'm going to write out a whole thing and see if I can just get through writing the whole thing. Because that's what I do at work. I have to write beginning, middle, and end, and I just have to put it all out there. And then what I always go do back is like dump out all the information and then go back and edit it. So why don't I try that with my novel, which is what I'm doing now. But also I put more of myself into this one. So I'm adopted. My main character is adopted. Um, I'm queer. My main character is queer. I'm putting more of myself like into the book and seeing if it can't reflect some of the things that are personal to me and are in my life while still combining it with like urban fantasy, there's magic, um, there's, there's a cursed necklace, there's a super scary bad guy. But, you know, I'm, I'm more in this one than I think I've been in other books. And I am trying to like give it a, a real perspective, which hasn't happened before. And so far it's going better. All of the, it turns out all of writing for me comes from one well. And so, when I'm doing a lot of writing for work, I find it very difficult to do a lot of personal writing. I took a vacation recently. I wrote the whole time I was on vacation. The second I went back to work, it's like the writing just dried up because I was using that bucket eight hours a day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I um, mean, I was going to ask like, whether your work writing and your fun writing, do they help each other? Do they conflict with each other? It sounds like if you're drawing from the same well from everything, I imagine that's really hard. <laughs>
0: Um, they they definitely do for getting words down. Uh, you know I I subscribe to the brainstorming is writing and thinking about writing is writing right plotting is writing all of that is still writing um, in the same way that all the research is part of writing interviewing SMEs is part of writing like all of that is still part of the technical writing job all of the stuff that you're doing alongside the like writing the actual novel I think is still writing but that is sort of where it stops. It's really hard for me to get the words out when I'm also having to get the words out for work. And I have to yeah. get the words out for work because that's the thing that pays me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have, I have a lot of confidence in the project that I'm working on for fun. I, I do think that I am eventually going to get through it. I think it'll just take me however long it takes me, but I am encouraged by all the writers that I read um, who, you know, didn't publish or put out their first full novel until they were, you know, into their 30s, 40s, 50s. Like, you can, you can always become a writer. That's mm-hmm. true for fiction. It's true for technical writing. Um, I've, I know lots of people who switch their careers to technical writing from software engineering or from having an English degree. The guy that I work with used to teach uh, kids. I think he was an English teacher, and, and now he's a technical writer.
1: I was a teacher too at one point. I taught science, <laughs> nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've switched careers a bunch. I, I, some of them I can't even call careers. I'm like, I've just switched jobs <laughs> a bunch <laughs> of times. And at the time, it was frustrating and kind of discouraging. And but I think it's kind of given me a little bit of like, I can do this. Like I've I've never not been able to get a job when I needed a job, keep, finish a project when I need. Like you know what I mean? Like it kind of just builds that. I don't know. I have done this thing muscle. (laughs) What do you want to call it? Um, We must have like, we must have very similar brains because I also tried to pants several times, many times. And then I was like, okay, this time I will plot. And then I plotted myself like into a corner and (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will share um, one of my other podcast guests this season um, may have heard of her Rebecca Kwong. Um, author of The Poppy War, she talked about writing the peaks. And so she just jumps from like the fun stuff, at least for the first draft, she like writes the fun stuff, the things that she really likes and cares about. Doesn't matter if it's out of order. doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. She does that first and then kind of like builds the connective tissue. So I don't know if you get stuck on a plateau at some point, maybe you could try jumping. I'm doing that right now and it's working better than I kind of expected. Cause like I have a big picture in my head but like you, like I got stuck in a swamp and I'm like, I,
0: I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have tried the peaks. I find I find that I'm just too linear a, okay. uh, a writer to to hop around like that. And I'll get super bogged down in editing to get from one peak to another. I'll write something in a, a later peak and then I'm like, oh no, but I already wrote something that totally contradicts yeah. that. Yeah, that is the tricky part. <laughs> And I, my editor brain is just like, I will itch until I fix it. And so it's, I have, I have to really keep myself from rereading and editing. Although sometimes it's the only way out of a hole. I recently got stuck so hard in a, in a, I had written something a certain way. I was sure that that's how it was supposed to go, but I just couldn't get to the next thing. And then I went back, I reread it. And I was like, I could clear all of this up if I just did this thing. So I, rewrote it. And then I I was able to clear that block and get to the next bit. And so I moved myself along like three whole chapters just by realizing that I could like, it was my story. I could undo a thing I did. It wasn't (laughs) (laughs) so easy in technical writing for me to do. So difficult for me in fiction is the, the, the technical writing muscle I've worked out so much that I know that I can dump a bunch of information in a page Cat, like chunk it the way that it needs to be information hierarchied and all of that. And then just start going in and, and editing and moving words around. And then depending on how much time get down to that sentence level, super nitpicky. What word is the best word to describe clicking this button kind of stuff. Um, is so difficult when it comes to uh, creative stuff, because I think, well, definitely, the technical writing has improved my writing skill overall, and I've seen that um, I'm a much better writer than I used to be. I'm so used to having that editor brain on all the time uh, that it is so it, it it really stalls me, and I, I really need to do the sort of nano rhyme just write, Put down the words, ignore the the drive to edit. It's sometimes useful. It's helped me out of a hole, but. I can get so bogged down in it.
1: (laughs) I have, I've wondered, and maybe if anybody's listening and uses Evernote, can I hide stuff from myself (laughs) so I can't access it and just like go into a spiral and never actually move forward? Um, I've got myself on a 500 word a day regimen, and that helps because I'm just like, all I got to do is write 500 new words, but old words don't count. going back and going back and changing words does not count. <laughs> yes, I wish I could. Sometimes I wish I could just like never see not see anything until like the you know how like actors like they film a scene at a time and then they never they never see the finished result until the end. I'm like that's what I need because if I try to look at the finished result before it's over, I'm just like I'll never get there. I'm much better at starting things than finishing them too.
0: <laughs> well, and you can only prevent yourself so much so even if you could like lock your files you're the one who locked them exactly you can unlock them uh I could I, have my spouse lock them for me true. <laughs> I hadn't lo- I had
1: him log me off of Facebook like two months ago <laughs> and changed my password <laughs> it's been great I love it because I'm way less distracted so I'm, uh, maybe I'll
0: maybe I'll try that <laughs> that's a that is a strong move I never thought to consider uh to consider that I just try very hard to, if I, if I do go back, I only can go back like a chapter, mm. or two, right? Like there's no going back to the beginning and rewriting it from the start when I'm only halfway through, which I've done three or four times on my last project. Oh no, it was probably worse than that. The last novel I tried to write was also like a fantasy setting. Um, I probably rewrote it from the start eight times I would get 30,000 words in and be like, no, 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 this is all wrong and start over from the beginning. So I've probably on that project written a novel's length of words, but only the beginning. Oh no.
1: Yeah, I think I'm I'm hoping that I will be, my brain will be able to trick itself. Like once I break maybe 10 or 20,000, I'll be like, oh no, I can't turn back now. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually going to work or not, but we'll see. I hope um, it does. Yes, me too. Uh, Do you have any advice for Asian Americans who want to pursue a writing career, whether that's technical or creative?
0: Um, Just do it. I know that that's, I, look, I know we've all said that advice and and heard that advice and it, it feels like junk because if you're not doing it or if you feel like you can't do it, how do you then just do it? But there, the, easiest thing about writing is that you don't need to start doing it amazing. You can do it in your head, you can do it on the back of a napkin, you can take out your phone and record yourself umming and ahhing and writing and send it to transcriptionist. Um, You can just start with where you are for daydreaming. You know, you, you if you want to make a career out of it, if you want to be a technical writer or professional writer, there are definitely steps you can take. You can go to school, you can get certificates, you can take online courses, uh, you can be mentored by people. I certainly, uh, you know, I'm always open to helping people get started in like a technical writing career. Um, but I think the main thing is just to decide that you're going to do it and give it a try. Um, and yeah, sometimes the, the, most realistic best advice is stupid to hear because it's just like, if I could just do that, I would be doing it already. Um, But often I think the thing that holds us back is saying, but here are all the reasons why I can't and pushing those out of the way, just like side-arming them and out of your way and just being like, no, I won't look at you today. And just doing it is it can be the, the strongest thing to get you going. Because once you get over that, whatever that block is or whatever you're facing that's making you think that you can't. Um, and, it, and and for totally valid things like uh, you, know, everyone's reasons for whatever they are feel huge or they, they are real. Um, not, you know, like it's not that they're not real. It's not that they're not in your way. It's that you can do it any, you can do it anyway. You can, you can accept that there are tons of reasons why you can't, um, and still write poetry on a napkin on your break or scribble down ideas in your, your your notebook, in the back of your notebook, or write them on your phone when you're commuting to your job. If you want to do technical writing or career writing, if you want to change, yeah, that's, that's a, little, a little bit more there are steps to take. But the first step with all writing is probably reading. So look at technical manuals. Um, you know, use the resources that are out there, like the technical writing subreddit on Reddit, um, or talk to a technical writer if you can find one of us, you know. Um, it's, it, you don't have to start with the writing, you can start with the things that lead up to the writing. I love Was that. that. Really long? <laughs> no, I love that.
1: It's true. And yes, we do hear it a lot, but it is true. Um, where can people catch up with you online, maybe see your work, that sort of thing?
0: Um, I have a website. It's writersamb.com. Uh yeah, so on LinkedIn, I'm also Sam Brandt. Um, you can find me there. Uh LinkedIn.com slash in slash Sambrand. Um I won't point anyone at my Twitter because it's mostly just uh, reposts and shitposting. So <laughs> well, if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I'm if, if you are looking to get into technical writing, you can totally reach out to me. I'm happy to help people transition into technical writing or talk about writing as a career or even just talk about the struggles of writing a novel and being really you know, bogged down by it. I love to talk about writing.
1: (laughs) All right. That's awesome. I'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today, Sam. Yeah, this was so fun. Thanks for listening to Chief Executive Auntie. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe with your favorite podcast player and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out about the show and provides the external motivation I need to keep going. You can find show notes, links, and other resources at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutive, A-U-N-T-I-E, dot Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw for mixing and mastering this episode, composing the music, and generally being a good human. Alyssa De La Rosa for creating the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. See you next time.